life is better with breathing room. And as we've been going through this series, we've been talking about having breathing room in our time, in our relationships, um, having breathing room in our finances. Today we're going to be talking about kind of breathing room in, in our brain as well. Um, before we dive into today, next week we are starting a brand new series called Difference Makers. That God has made a difference in our lives, but he wants us to make a difference in the lives of those around us. And I really, truly believe as we approach the Easter season, Easter is April 1st, that I think he wants you to make a difference in someone's life this Easter. So we're going to dive headfirst into that and look at some people in Scripture who made a difference. And what did they do? How did God use them? And how can he use us? And that's so I'm, I'm really excited about not only being able to, to teach that and preach that to you guys, but I'm even more excited to see what is God going to do in a different maker series. Now, I don't know about you as we jump into talking about kind of anxiety and those different things. As we've talked about time and money and our relationships. Um, we can get so stirred up and so revved up on the inside that uh, mentally it's like our, we just can't stop thinking and, and going and going and going. Now, why are we talking about breathing room in the first place? Well, it's because God wants a relationship with you. He loves you and wants a relationship with you. It's the whole meaning of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and, and he rose from the grave so that we could have a relationship with God. So when we have things that we are just maxed out in our time and maxed out in our finances and our relationships are all strained, he's like, I want a relationship with you. Let's have some breathing room here. And so scripture says it like this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief even at night, their minds cannot rest. Amen? Can anyone relate? It says it is all meaningless. It is all meaningless when we exclude God from the conversation. And my goal is kind of where we are headed today. Is that as soon as you add God to the equation, there is meaning and purpose to the pain, to the anxiety, to the grief. Um, what we're going to talk about today is not going to minimize the pain, the hurt, the grief. It's, I'm not going to minimize that at all of what that actually feels like. But what we're going to get today is a solid foundation of where do we go and where do we take our next steps leaving from here. And if your foundation is on a solid rock, you can take those next steps. But I guarantee you when you leave, the hurt is still going to be there. The stressor is still going to be there. The worry is still going to be there. It's going to be what do we do with that as well. So, for me, this really hit home about a, a year or so ago. Where I was having, I was going to the doctor because I was having some stress headaches that were just shutting me down during the day. I was experiencing fatigue, um, angry. I was just really irritable as well. Um, there was even at one point for last about a year ago, I was in a doc at a doctor's office, and because I was not taking care of myself physically, uh, mentally, giving myself breathing room, they were sticking cords to me uh, to do an EKG because that morning I had experienced some tightness 
in my chest that I had never experienced before, a very sharp pain. I'm like, what is going on? And the crazy thing was, I was 36 years old, I'm sitting here, the testing these cords, and I'm like, this is a live option right now. Fortunately, it was not a heart attack, but it was talking to the doctor, like, Mike, we don't know what happened. Freaking me out that I had allowed this to go. One of the, the, the bigger symptoms for me in struggling with anxiety and just stress and worry and those sorts of things, sleeplessness. I, I can't tell you how many sleepless nights I had. There was a couple things I would do, and I still do, when I'm up at night and I can't sleep. One is I'll preach a sermon. I'll preach one of my sermons. <laughs> That's not supposed to be funny. Well, <laughs> um, I kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm asleep. You know, within a few minutes, I knock myself out. And a lot of times, too, if that doesn't work out, so I will get into scripture, and I, I'll have uh, I have scripture there, and I'll read, and I can breathe, I can be still. Doesn't always work, but it helps calm myself down, whether or not I go back to sleep or not, to gain some perspective. One night I was reading through Mark chapter and Jesus is asleep. He was not freaking out. Jesus had breathing room. He knew who he was. So they were questioning, who is this man? What? Don't you care? Jesus is like, I'm God. I created these waves. I created the storm. I know how this works. Believe me, I'm in complete control here. Breathing room. For the, for the, from a human perspective, their life was on the line. It was chaos. And they were in deep trouble. From a God perspective... This was an opportunity for him to display his power and his glory. Jesus knew who was in control. And for us today, as we just build our foundation, I mean, we are just touching the surface of anxiety today. But as we just build our foundation, what are we building that on? From the God perspective, it was an opportunity for him to display his power and his glory for them to see and have an amazing story behind what they were facing. What is anxiety? Just from a, a, def, a definition, medical definition, it's an emotion characterized by feeling the tension, worried thoughts, and it can include physical changes like increased blood pressure. Anxiety is normal. It is an emotion that all of us will experience. Now, to what extremes? are going to be different for every one of us. But it is a normal emotion. It's actually a natural reaction um, to set of circumstances that we will face. Um, I asked on Facebook uh, about a month or so ago, I asked on the Keep It Local site to just see if people would share some of their stories and, and what was anxiety to them and how did they deal with it, what was helpful and what was not helpful. When they described anxiety, they did not give me a medical definition. Here's what anxiety is. No, they described symptoms. What is anxiety? It's, it's tightness in my chest. It's shortness in my breath. They named people. They named places. They named words that were like triggers that caused shortness of breath, that caused tightness in chest, that caused them to want to isolate as they talked about those uh, symptoms. They also described feelings that went along with their anxiety. Things like shame, things like hopelessness, 
it would drive them to a place that they did not want to go. They felt alone as they described their anxiety. And prepping this talk and hearing people's stories, it helped me to relate, but it also kind of took me back to that place and the anxiety started to creep up. It's not a matter of if you will have anxiety, if you will have stress, if you will have worry in your life. It is what you will do with it. Where it becomes a disorder in our lives, an anxiety disorder, where you might get diagnosed with it, is when it starts to overtake your daily life and your daily routine. I'm approaching today, I am no doctor, okay? I am a pastor, I am a friend, but I am no doctor, and I, so I am not going to even dive into that. At the same time, I want you to know I'm going to I'm going to talk about spiritual things, and I think that's a, the foundation of what you do. The doctors who are going to treat you are going to treat you based off of what the Creator designed things in our lives to work and how they work. So, um, listen, if I got a broken arm, I would be stupid to say, well, I'm just going to have more faith that this thing is going to get healed. That would be ridiculous. You're going to say, no, go to the doctor, get an x-ray, and get it fixed. And there are things when when anxiety or depression or different things are starting to overwhelm and overtake, guess what? There's doctors that can help with it, and it's going to be different for how they treat and all that sort of stuff. So I'm not negating any of that, because I've heard people feel shamed for having to take medication, or just to say, snap out of it, or just have more faith. No, you go and you get the help. The two are very much combined. But I'm going to be speaking from the foundation of which God is going to work and give us a foundation in which to work with these things, these root elements. Everyone, everyone who's, who dealt with um, anxiety, who replied to that post, nobody wanted to stay there. They all wanted to get better. And so they had, you know, hey, exercise, uh, diet, go see a counselor, maybe go see a doctor. There was different things, but almost every single one of them had this to share, and it kind of came down to this same thing. Separate truth from lies. Separate truth from lies. What is actually true in this situation, and what is the lie? If I can understand that, why I'm, I can actually start to uh, make some better choices and take some best next steps out of here. One of the guys in the boat was Peter. Peter wrote a few books in the Bible um, named... 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And in 1 Peter, he writes about this. The, the fisherman, the fisherman, the disciple who uh, used to uh, cast nets, says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus, don't you care? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What is interesting about this scripture and this is where we're going to camp out today, is what this scripture is sandwiched in between. And I'm going to read it to you, and you'll see right in the middle is anxiety in our mind. But if you go back to verse 5, Peter says this, All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So on one side, you have God, humility, and he will lift you up. And then here it is. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 
Now contrast that with what follows. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. On one side you have God, humility, and he will lift you up. And on the other side you have our spiritual enemy, Satan, who is prideful and he wants to tear you down. And in the middle is our brain, our anxiety. And it is no wonder that the two are linked. For all of humanity, one of our greatest assets amongst any other species on the planet is what? Our brain. The most powerful thing that we have, that God has given us, He has made us in His image, is our brain. You were created by God. Think about this. When you were younger, dream, imagine, create, Design, explore. Your brain was like a playground. And Satan wants to lock it up. He wants to, for you to settle. He wants to overwhelm you. He wants you to get your eyes off God, your creator, who he wanted you to be. He wants you to soar. And he wants this, your brain, to be all in chains. To be locked up and settled. It is not a playground. We have to understand your mind is a battleground. And the enemy knows it is the gateway to your demise. Hits you there and hits you there. What we think, what we think often drives what we feel, and what we feel often drives what we behave. You go into work tomorrow and your boss says, Hey, can you come into my office this afternoon and have a meet? What we think, oh crap. So unappreciated. I work so hard, and he doesn't like me. And I'm going to go in there, and I, I'm feeling so unappreciated right now. And our behavior throughout the day is just a, a mounting of the defense. We can't. We're so frustrated. We can't think, and we'll gossip, and we'll talk, and I'm just all this sort of stuff. You go into work tomorrow, and your boss says, "Hey, I'd like to have a meeting with you this afternoon." And you think, "Man, I've been knocking it out of the park. This guy loves me." He wants to tell me how great. And we're thinking and we're feeling good because I've been working hard and finally I'm going to get some appreciation. And we're, we're all about it. What we think determines a lot of times what we feel and often drives how we behave. You think your spouse is not as smart or is not as bright as you are or acts a little dumb or weird sometimes. And we think, we think that we feel superior to our spouse. And then we treat them like a child. What we think often drives what we feel. And what we feel often drives what we behave. It does not have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. But we have to understand that this is a battleground on how we are going to choose and move about. It is a fight. You've got you to ask this question. Why are you anxious? Why am I anxious? Jesus asked those disciples, why are you afraid? Get to the heart of it. Why am I so anxious? A lot of us, we need to check our diets. So when I was sitting on the EKG, I had not been working or getting the EKG test. All right? Thankfully, it was not a heart attack or anything like that, but I had let my physical health go south. And so I'm like getting a wake-up call, and so I need to exercise. But here's one thing about exercising. You can't out-train a bad diet. 
Okay? I can't go and work out at the gym for an hour and then layer it with 17 hours of garbage. Okay? You can't spend five minutes in the Word of the day and, and, or go to church for an hour in a week and then layer it with 57 hours of garbage. You're really going to have to check your diet. And one of the areas where we need to check our diet is, is right up here in our brain. Now, a lot of times, what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about direction for my, for my family, my relationship with my wife, and now that we're starting a church, I'm thinking about the church, thinking about the direction for the church, I'm thinking about messages that i got to preach. At the same time, I wish I was always thinking these faith-filled, like super powerful, super spiritual thoughts, and it's just not the case. If I'm honest, a lot of times, there's this negative self-doubt. Can I do this? I can't even deliver this talk on anxiety. Mike, yeah, you struggle, but there's other people who have really struggled. You're going to try to say something that's going to help them, and they're going to walk out and be like, that is total garbage. And I just sit there and I get into this snowball of negative thought. And it's actually, for a lot of it's, the, it's a natural way to go. It is our natural instinct is to go into, to sink into the negative or fearful thoughts. What about this? What if this? What will they think? What will he think? What if I lose my job? Discontentment. Man, I wish I wish I had that. Oh man, they have that family, they have that car, they have that many likes on Instagram, they have that many followers. Oh man, I, I, all this sort of stuff that I want, discontentment or critical. I just get downright critical in my thoughts. A lot of times I get into what I call the spouse snowball. It's all in my head. And I'm like, oh, there's the, there's the toothpaste, and it's, it's not it's, it's all jacked up or something like that. And then I noticed that this looks like this, and this, and, and then the dishes are here, and the kids are acting like this, and I can't believe they're so ungrateful, and they don't do all these things. And I just have to literally just out loud say, stop! To, to stop the snowball of the criticism that is going on in my head. These thoughts of fear, negativity, discontent, criticism, is toxic to our soul and what we are feeding ourselves and what we're allowing ourselves to stew on. And sometimes for me, I just have to physically say it because it will break the, the, uh, the, the effect. Think about a hummingbird. Hummingbird wakes up in the morning and then what does a hummingbird go to get for food? Nectar. It goes and looks for nectar and guess what it finds? Nectar. Sweet stuff. Contrast that to a vulture. Vulture wakes up in the morning, and what does it go to look for? Dead stuff. And what does it find? Dead stuff. What are you seeking? What, if you took an inventory of your thoughts, what is that that you are stewing on? And do you need to go look for some sweet stuff? Or do you need to go look, or, or get away from the dead stuff? Listen, in Christ, in Christ, Scripture says this. We take every cap thought, thought, every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So the thought may come. You can't stop the thought from coming. But you don't have to allow it, access it to, to stay there. You take it captive and say, no, this is from the spiritual enemy that wants to devour me. I take it captive, I make it obedient to Christ and say, no, thank you. This is not who you want me to be. Easier said than done, for sure. But in Christ, you have that power to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Not only do our thoughts affect our intake in our brain, but also our actions. You want peace in your life. But it's going to be hard to have peace in your life if you are going uh, rogue in your time. 
This is my time. This is how I want to spend it, and I'll do whatever I want. This is, if you're, it's hard to have peace in your life if you're going to go rogue in your finances. This is my money. I'm going to spend it how I want, and you're going to go contrary to what God's calling you to do. It's going to ha- be hard to have peace in your life if you are hiding things. If you're constantly deleting those text messages that you don't want people to see. If you're constantly deleting your internet uh, history because you don't want people to see. It's going to be hard to have peace in your life if you are one person at church, if you are one person at work, if there's the uh, home you, then there's the alone you, then there's the Friday night you. It's hard to have peace if you are living in pieces and you are wearing a mask. And so we have to check our actions to see, are we uh, are living contrary to what God wants us to live? We want peace in our life. As Rita said earlier, if he's not Lord, if he's not Lord, we're not going to find that true peace. We've got to check our actions. You might be thinking, Mike, my anxiety, and yes, there's my thoughts, yes, there's my actions, but I did not ask for the illness that came into my family. I did not ask for um, this financial hardship to come my way. Uh, the disciples did not ask for that storm to come. These are all circumstances that were outside of my control that I did not ask for. They were put into my life. And this is my anxiety. What about that? What about that? I'm glad you asked because that's kind of drive to where we are at. Listen, some of us in here today, we have gotten angry with God, or we have maybe even left Christianity because bodyguard God did not protect us. Because bodyguard God did not do something. Because I needed God to speak and He was silent. Listen, if that's you today, and you're mad at bodyguard God, let me just tell you, good. And you're like, what is bodyguard God? Bodyguard God is the God that does not allow bad things to happen to good people, to the Christians. I gave my life to Christ, but he didn't protect me. This was a horrible thing that happened, or this was, I did not ask for this. And God was supposed to intervene, and he didn't. Bodyguard God does not exist. That is nowhere preached in Scripture. So if you walked away from church because bodyguard God didn't protect you, let me just say good. Because that's that's a false God that does not exist. If you look at Scripture, throughout it all, God will allow things to happen in your life in order to prove His power. Look at the early church fathers, the early church in Acts. It was horrific, anything but but peaceful for their circumstances. Look at the life of Jesus. Anything but peaceful. Bodyguard God, it's okay to doubt Him because He does not exist. That's not the God that we worship. The question is not if we will have anxiety, it will be what we do with it. And we need to shift our focus from the enemy who wants to devour over to God. He says humility, and he will lift us up so we can soar. Back to verse 5, it says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God's 
mighty hand representing his power, his protection, his provision, that he is the one in control. And in fact, there's a ton of freedom when you and I can look at our circumstances and say, I, I'm not in control. These things were outside of my control and I need help. That's the essence of what the gospel is, that God wants a relationship with you, but we all have this problem called sin. And if we could fix it, God would say, here's the way that you can fix it. But there's nothing you can do to fix it. He sent his son Jesus to deal with a problem that was out of control called sin. And he took care of what we couldn't. When he nailed it on the cross and he rose from the grave, he conquered death, he conquered sin, and he gave us an opportunity to have a relationship. All we have to do is accept it as a gift. To say, I'm not going to live my way anymore, but I'm going to live for Jesus. He is my Lord. When we can accept that we are not in control, that God is, that's humility. To put God in his due place. To say, I can't, but God, you can. The situation with the waves, too much. Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? We need you. Listen, if that's you today, he can take it. God can take it. Jesus didn't get asked, hey, don't you care? And then he didn't crumble, saying, oh, I don't know if I can. Am I God? I don't know if I can do this. No, he just looked up and said, no, I got, I got this. I'm going to prove my power here. There's a ton of freedom when we don't have to feel like we're in control of all the situations, but we can trust our Heavenly Father who is. What happened when Jesus silenced that storm? What happened when Jesus silenced that storm? It went from all about me, God, don't you care about me, save me, to the question was, up, if pride has already put you on the throne. If your pride has already put you on the throne, and I can control, I got this, I can do it, he can't lift you up. He wants us to humble ourselves under his mighty hand so that he can lift us up. Listen, a lot of us are on a, on a happiness quest, not so much a truth quest in life. We want to be happy, right? Something bad going on, we want to be happy. But we've got to understand this truth when it comes to God in our lives. We expect God to protect us from the storm when all along he has allowed the storm to prove his power. We want God to protect us from the storm. We want God to protect us, to be the bodyguard God, when all along he has allowed those things to prove his power, to prove his glory, so that we can go and share that story. Not every trip across the lake made it into the Gospels. <laughs> oh, well, there was this one day we went across and it was beautiful weather, and we fished for a little bit, and then we had a great conversation, and it was awesome. No, which ones made it in? The ones with the storms, the ones that were difficult, the ones that God showed up and it was only God. And many times in our lives, these circumstances which we did not ask for, which I would not wish upon you, which are extremely hurtful, which are extremely painful, God has allowed so that he can, can bring purpose in them, so he can bring meaning, so he can bring power in our lives. And it's so huge in dealing with our anxiety. Why are you afraid? It's why Joseph could get thrown into the pit, sold into slavery, be thrown in the prison, and have all of this trouble thrown his way, and then he can look at it and say to his brothers later, hey, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. 
It's why Martha and Mary, at the death of their brother Lazarus, Lazarus was so overwhelmed. Jesus, where were you? You needed to come. You could have saved him. And Jesus had the audacity. He had the audacity to tell them in those moments, I'm glad it happened. What? Now Jesus wept. He wept at the graveside of Lazarus because he cared. But he understood. He knew this was the opportunity to display his power. It's why sin is so overwhelming in our lives. And when it looked like Jesus was at the end of his rope, when death had won, that we got to see the power of who God is. That on the cross, he said, it is finished. Sin is no more reigning. He kicked open the tomb and he came out and he said, hey, I'm alive. Why are you looking for the dead amongst the alive? Jesus conquered death in situations that were so overwhelming. I'm not downplaying your situation or how overwhelming it is, but we have to understand that God wants to use those things for His power in His glory. Almost in such a way where we could have the audacity to say, I wouldn't wish this, but I'm actually glad it happened. In Romans 8, Paul had the audacity to say this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. James, the brother of Jesus, had the audacity to say, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may mature, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we understand who is in the boat, when we understand who is in the boat, we will have the audacity to say, then rock the boat. Not my will be done. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross, but he said, Father, not my will, rock the boat. If your will is going to cause pain and suffering for me, but it's going to bring healing to others, rock the boat. Who's in control here? I don't wish these things upon anyone. I don't wish them upon my life. But if God, if that's what you want for my life, if that's your will, if these things are in my life to make me better, then rock the boat. When I understand who's in the boat, I can humble myself so I can trust God with my anxiety. And in due time, he can lift me up. Listen, God wants to be in your boat. But have you allowed him, have you allowed him access to be Lord in in your boat? Jesus says it like this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. It's like a, a, a prerequisite to come to Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. There's nothing more important than your soul. And Jesus says, come to me, and you will find rest for your soul. He wants to be in your boat. Pride Pride wants you to do all this in isolation. 
your enemy wants you to fight this battle alone. So when you say, ah, I got it, I'm fine. No, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. I can do this. I can handle this. I'm just saying this. If it's no big deal, then why is it such a big deal? And if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And I would just tell you about this church right here. If it is a big deal to you, which means it's a big deal to God, it means it is a big deal to us. Cast all your anxiety on Him. Primarily to fight in isolation. I want this place to be a place of community. And it takes humility. It takes risk to do that. But that's where God can lift you up and encourage you. It's like when we gather here, when we gather as a church, it is like a weekly reminder that I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. It's like all of us. We just come together and say, I can't do it. But we'll celebrate that God can. So, we're going to close here. And as we do, I really, I really truly want this to be a place where you get, you don't just come to church, sing some songs, hear a message, talk to a, people, a few people, and then just go home. Like, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But as your pastor and your leader, I really feel a deep burden for you to, if there's something that's happening or going on, you just need some encouragement. To have a place where you can just have someone pray for you. I mean, what a luxury to have a community of people, there's 40 of us in here in this room, where we can just say, hey, we're all in the same boat here. We all serve, we need the same Savior. And we can pray with and pray for. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and sing. But rather than just, hey, raise your hand and you need a prayer or whatever, um, we have a few awesome and loving families that are going to be right over here and they're going to pray, we'll pray for you. The hard part is, is that we want to hide. We want to wear the mask. So it's like, well, I don't know if I get up... <coughs> Humility says, I'm going to do this in community. I know there's risk in that. It does not, if you get up today, it does not mean you have to be talking about anxiety. It could be just, hey, I had a tough night last night, and I need someone to pray for me. I just need someone to pray for me. I just wanted you to be free, free of church, to be free to go and get some prayer, to go and get some care, to go and get some encouragement. And the temptation is to hide. But I know in all of us in here, we're not okay. No one in here is perfect. We all have something that we need to take a next step on. Jesus, after the, after the cross, after his resurrection, he did not hide his scars. In fact, he, he, he displayed his scars. They were, the disciples came and were like, I don't know, did you really? No, here's my scars. Look at them. And Jesus, the scars brought healing. So for you and I, we have scars. But if we actually, instead of trying to hide those, allow God to use those, He not only brings healing in us, but He can use that to bring healing in others. This is a tough topic. This is a tough topic. Scripture says this, and then I'll I'll pray and we'll close. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, that we all want, that peace, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That peace does not come until there's prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. So we're going to offer that. 
We're going to offer an opportunity. Jeff, Brenda, Tracy, and, and Nate will be over there. They want to pray. I'll be over there too if you guys want to pray. So we're going to, when I say amen, we're going to stand up and sing. But if you want prayer, come on over. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. It's all right.